0: Flex success podcast where we teach you how to be less shit covering all things science relating to nutrition training recovery and more who knows you might even sprinkle in a dick joke or two
1: <laughs> hello listeners or youtubers wherever you're connecting with this uh-huh. podcast today we have with me as always dean my co-host uh-huh. and me Queen of the world, Lizzie, and we have an awesome guest with us
2: today—the uh, Silver
1: Fox himself, Victor Black.
2: <laughs> I like that. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> have you been called the Silver Fox before? <laughs> no, but I like that. You, I, I have to insist on being called that from now. on. <laughs> yeah, you got to put it on your
0: business card. It's very. Or yeah. well, yeah. maybe we can
2: take um, your logo and move the silver back. Yeah. yeah well, that- that's I quite I mean I, I never really talk about it, but that's what it's supposed to imply the concept of the silverback and you know the 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 uh, the uh, the gorilla that's been around the block shall we say doing so well <laughs> I, I like the silver fox that's very good as well.
1: <laughs> now Victor is with us today to talk about a topic that oh, really does need to be put in the spotlight and really is not. But before we get there, Victor, do you want to give our listeners a little intro to who you are, what you do, and why you do it, for those who might not be familiar with you?
2: Sure. Thank you. So uh, I, I guess just a couple of short months ago, no, nobody had heard my name. I've been, you know, uh, I guess more prolific in the last six months of trying to promote my message rather than myself, you could say, Um I have been uh, training and competing for, well, competing for 27 years, training for 34 years. I'm 53 years old now. Uh, I spent at least half of my career as a natural athlete and half of my career as an enhanced athlete. So I, I kind of have one foot in both camps and an appreciation and understanding and empathy for both camps and, and the transition from natural to enhanced training. Um, my, my, My core message, the reason I started to become more and more proactive in in, in promoting myself and my message is I wanted to try and give something back to the community, give something back to the tribe about what I've learned over the last 34 years about the safer application of enhancement practices. Um, I think it's fair to say that the, the TRT, HRT community is very well served today uh, in terms of educational, informational content for guys who are using testosterone at what we would call replacement dose. Yeah? There's a, a number of voices that provide very good quality and credible information to support that community. I think it's probably fair to say there's also been voices, shall we say, over the decades that have you know, tried to provide education to the, 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 the more uh, ambitious of us, you could say, those people that are prepared to raise their risk profile into what I would call the unsustainable. Mm -hmm. Uh, But my message is really for those people that are interested in doing this, that have a great passion for doing this, and are interested in trying to get the best possible outcomes they can with the least impact on their health, uh, resulting in ultimately longevity. How can I do what I love to do for the next 35 years? As I said, I'm 53 and Unashamedly, I have no intention of retiring, I will be doing this for the next 20 years as well. So really that's my, my core cool message about uh, enhancement practices being very transparent about what we do, what, you know, why we do what we do and how we can do it in a manner that is... You know, you know, the, the, I don't like the word safe, I think that's disingenuous. I think safer is a better word. Uh, whenever we talk about these types of drugs, you have to adopt some level of risk once you cross physiological barriers. Uh, and once you talk about polypharmacy, but even talk about what those risks actually are, and um, probably more importantly, how can we mitigate them? How, how what can we do to mitigate the the risks of those drugs through our own practices?
0: Mm. Absolutely. I um I've had a, I've had a few moments in the last few weeks since I've not only a few weeks last few months, like you said, that you have been more prolific mm-hmm. on um, Instagram, and I just had another moment now where. Um, you may, you. I, I'm assuming I, I believe you are familiar with Broderick Chavez, who's out of America. And, absolutely, absolutely. You know, the, the funny thing was when Liz and I first came into contact with Broderick, and I was doing some mentorship stuff through him, and he came out to Australia. I thought this is a guy that knows a lot of stuff who hasn't quite just managed to get his face in front of the right people. And I think he'll get really busy once the Australians hear him. And mm-hmm. like, and the other cool thing about Broderick is he had a really, really good way of talking about pharmacy. You know, uh, I should say really
1: good metaphors. Really good
0: metaphors. Good delivery, right? And then, uh, but he was very much of the message of, I'm going to go hard. And if I die at 40, I'm happy, you know, mm-hmm. like, completely different. But then in the, um, in the last few months, it's been similar. I actually remember seeing you on a forum a while back and you and I were on a similar uh, post saying similar things. And then there was just a bunch of numbskulls basically replying and you went, fuck this. And I'm out. <laughs> you know? like, I'm done. Like I've tried my best, but fuck this. I'm out.
1: Because the only thing so. you prove when you argue with an idiot is that there's two idiots <laughs> yeah
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: but um now, right. now here,
2: I, I, I did confess I've been there many times I've been the idiot many times myself yeah. I've, I've consumed hundreds of hours arguing with idiots don't worry <laughs> yeah. so but yeah
0: there's an there's like an almost like an inverse sort of uh, um sort of appearance from you in regards to how you've spoken about that because you're kind of like the Australian version of Broderick in regards to the level of knowledge of application and both also theory I believe from, mm-hmm. from I of you. it's a compliment you have a very good way of talking about it which I think is awesome and it's probably at the stage now, too, where you're about to hit that phase where people are starting to recognise. Mm. Um, mm. Except you go the safer use model. Not that Broderick is
2: the, the dangerous model, but he doesn't mind a bit of danger, you know? <laughs> yeah, if, if I can comment about Broderick, because quite unashamedly, he runs a, a membership site where he provides educational information on this. He gets my $11. I, I mean, I, I think it's $11 a month. I pay $11 a month. He gets yep. my $11 uh, w- worth every penny, You right? Yep. I, I will be honest with you, I don't necessarily agree with everything that he says, but that's not the point. Mm. The point is he, is he, he's very articulate and he has interesting things to say. Sometimes I agree, sometimes I don't agree. And uh, I, I think there's only realistically, honestly, a half a dozen people in the world that you know I put into that camp. And I say, that, that that guy's worth your money. And if it's 11 bucks, give him your money. Have a listen to what he has to say. Even if you don't agree with him, one of the things I, I credit Broder with doing is, he makes me think every now and then he says something, and I have to go away and have to rethink my position and go, I don't agree with you, Boderick. But just the fact that he makes me question my opinion wow. is worth my time and my money. And my time is worth far more than, than, I, than I give him in terms of money, as far as I'm concerned. To sit down and, and listen to a podcast for an hour is worth more to me because I have to, you know, that's an hour of my time. I, like you, I bill out at my clients at, at, at greater than $11 a month, obviously. So absolutely, a, a very credible voice and someone I think people should absolutely listen to. Yes, I do agree. Our messages are similar in, in some degrees and different in other areas, but you know, uh, certainly someone on my my reading list, let's say that.
1: You offer some education in... Um... class, Yeah. As well yeah
2: mm. yeah yeah I have a I have a membership membership site I guess in in the similar spirit it's uh it's a little bit yeah it's a little bit different but yeah I mean'm I'm, su- I'm sure you're a preacher I think you guys run a membership site as well don't you no we've considered it
1: We oh, okay. our bread and butter is one on one coaching mm. um, okay. and we have some courses in the woodworks, but I wouldn't exactly consider yeah, that. And we did a
0: um, like a research review thing at one stage, which was kind of cool. But okay. like you could be a member to that. You could get some, some coaches' uh, reviews of certain research pieces
2: each every two weeks. Research so isn't on. sexy okay.
0: though, Victor. It's Yeah, it's, just,
2: <laughs> yeah, it's I, I I will be honest with you. I, I have and even oh gosh, God, I shouldn't say this, but I am sure when you consider that we are talking about millions. I'm not I'm not exaggerating, we talk talking about millions of users for these compounds today millions you know? and when you look at the half a dozen credible voices in our community and when you look at their following it's always disappointing to see just how few people are, are, are interested enough to do nothing more than you know click on a guy's instagram post they're not that hard to find and yet every single voice that i talk about is undersubscribed mm. there's nobody out there that is you know overwhelmingly like everybody's listening to what they have to say every single voice that i listen to is massively massively undersubscribed, which says more about the community than it does about those individuals in terms of it 's really not a community in a wholesale sense that is interested in research and is interested in the underlying technical discussions yeah. and so i try and so I try to bridge the bridge between those two things to have one you know one foot in the evidence based community and one foot in the practical application and try try not to be too dry and try not to be you mean to to too, too, too I I, I guess, spend too much time. Like, you know, you could spend hours and hours and hours down the rabbit hole of clinical evidence and literature for very small effect. So I I try to be the bridge between those two communities to the best of my ability. Yeah. as a pharmacology superhero.
1: Oh. Not all heroes wear capes. You mentioned having one foot in application, one foot in theory. May I suggest having a third foot in posting nudes, which will definitely get you to (laughs) follow Honestly, I, anyone,
2: I don't think anyone wants to see me, do, except my wife, baby.
1: <laughs> I just think that people take photos with their shirt off or slightly sexy. Their following just shoots up. And it yeah. just seems to matter so much more how you look than what you know. And yeah. it's very disappointing.
2: That, you know what? The funny thing is that I, I actually agree with, I mentioned you before we started the call, that I, I, we're all learning. Everybody's learning. And what I'm learning at the moment is how to do social media marketing. Yeah? And, and I agree oh, with you I, I I create what I think are fabulous posts that are like to me if i if I had access to someone that was feeding this information to me twenty five years ago when well, I would have i, I mean I, I shit you know I would have wet my pants you know that, that such a resource exists and then you know today you know people are more interested in seeing what I look like with my shirt off than you know some really insightful you know post about the application of this drug, so I do agree with you it's it is frustrating, but the good news is the thing that keeps me doing it is it's what I call one mind at a time or one heart at a time. I find that if you can connect with any individual, they tend to become very loyal followers. And then the next one and the next one and the next one. And over the last, you know, the last few years, my my following is very small, but it is slowly growing slowly, slowly, slowly. And and hopefully, you know, another five or 10 years time, we will have reached a, a tipping point where it will become, you know, more common than it is today for people who want to educate themselves about the application of these compounds rather than just you know, dive in where angels fit to tread as well.
1: What I yeah. love about our audience, your audience and Flex Success's audience is the people that follow us are following us for our content to learn, mm-hmm. whereas mm-hmm. somebody that might have half a million followers, they're just adding photos to their wank banks and <laughs> not really making any dent in anybody's education or upskilling. So yeah. even though we might have a smaller following, I think the lives that we impact in a positive way are greater. Yeah,
0: and the, and the, fan, the fan is a raving one too. Yeah. They're very invested in your message, so they're not going to leave like you yeah. said, because I love your post, Victor, and that's all it makes Thank you you, about I appreciate that. But let's get in. Into... That's reason enough to keep going, right? Well, I'm, I'm your one mind today. <laughs> Job done.
1: Maybe oh, cool. you can
0: win Lizzie's awesome. heart by the end of it. Cool. Um, we'll, we'll
1: see how we go. Let's start with the safer model. Yeah. Um, can mm-hmm. you talk us through that, and then we'll work our way into um, female ped use.
2: Yeah. So i I think it's it's fair to say that um, there's a there's a number of ways you could approach the application of these let's, let's call it performance and image enhancing drugs, if you will, doing, uh, I think most people follow the, you know, in uh, more is better model. I think, I think the get big or die trying method, you know, mindset is, is dominant in our community. Right. But it's also fair to say, well, you mean uh, even if we just look back over the decades, I think it's fair to say that the dosages that we've seen being used by bodybuilders has slowly been, you know, Getting bigger and bigger and bigger over the years, the 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 risk reward model that people are prepared to take seems to get bigger and bigger and bigger. I I remember when I first started, uh, you know, a thousand milligrams of testosterone was like, oh, that's like that's 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 a, a scary amount of testosterone, and yet today you see individuals who are you know like very much novices starting out on their journey, you know taking doses you know that are approaching you know in 10 15 20 milligrams per kilogram of anabolic steroids um i I guess the message there is there has to be if you just think about it you know logically and rationally there has to be a middle ground somewhere between um hrt practices okay and outright abuse There just logically has to be so if we look at you know, pretty much every single dosage response study that's ever been done on a hypertrophic agent or growth promotion agent, when, I mean, you know, right out the box, basically, you have, like, if you have a, a, a series of greater doses, you start to see performance advantage, even, you know, you know at very small doses. And that, that improvement, very often is measured by improvement in body composition, lean, lean body mass and, and, and fat loss, you know, escalates as the dose escalates. But as I like to say, more works more, but more hurts more. Hmm. So if we if we reference, you know, the, there's a, a, a overly or an infamous series of studies that was done uh, on greater dose of testosterone, where they gave you know, a, you know a cohort of men so much testosterone, so much testosterone, so much testosterone over a time frame, and we saw response. It's fair to say that even the guys that were taking you know, 300 milligrams of testosterone a week saw an improvement in body composition. Now, not to the same magnitude as the people that took 600 or not to the same magnitude as someone that took more again, but they saw an improvement. Okay. So it's just logical to say, surely beginning with a discussion, not ending there, but beginning with a simple discussion of what if I do nothing more than take my existing levels of endocrine hormones that we know have some correlation or relationship to outcome and do nothing more than bring them up to you know, what I would call you know, the, the upper levels of physiological range. Okay, so a simple example would be, if, if men, we'll talk about men for a moment, if men have a testosterone range that ranges from say, 200 nanograms per deciliter to say 1100 nanograms per deciliter, and you know individuals fall within that range. Naturally, there's a there's an inter individual genetic you know variation that means that you get different. If you did nothing more than said, look, I'm going to take that guy who has a, a has a level of two or three hundred nanograms per deciliter a day, and simply bring him up to what is still plausibly natural, not cross that physiological barrier. There is a performance advantage to be had, and at the same time a very, very small risk attached to that because we are still operating within the boundaries of, of that uh, human physiological range, mm-hmm. okay? So the safer use model, if you think about it from that perspective, is simply saying, well, you know, we can start off with TRT and we can slowly titrate the doses of these drugs up, initially up to a threshold of physiological range and then at, at a level just outside of physiological range, then we can keep going and keep going and keep going where we're looking for A relationship between the therapeutic benefits of using these drugs and balances against the toxicities of them. We don't need to use, you know, we don't need to set ourselves at five times the natural level of testosterone to get to get an outcome. And so this is the argument, if you go online, and you talk to people about, you know, the the starting level of drugs, most people today are still saying, you know, you need to start on 600 milligrams of testosterone a week. Now, I don't know whether people know this or not, but that would place you, you know, three or four times over natural range of TRT. If you did nothing else than say, take an individual who's a healthy young man who's eating well, training well, has good sleep management and stress management practices in place and double his existing testosterone range today. Whatever is today, let's just double it, okay? That is probably still within natural range for some men, okay? And he's gonna start his journey at that point. He's gonna to start to see improvements in body composition at that point. But with, you have to be honest, with a, a very, very, very low risk threshold. So the entire safety use model says, you know, there, there is a, 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 a knob that we have that says, you know, zero to 10. It's not a button you press that says on and off. You know? So I like, I like to try in, in terms of explaining, like, whenever I start someone off that's a first time using these compounds, we literally just start by titrating their doses of testosterone up until the maximum expected or predicted physiological range for a natural man. Let's just put him in the top percentile, one percentile of men in the world at testosterone. And almost every individual you'll see will begin their journey towards being the best version of themselves by that simple act, right? Balanced against that is a very, very low risk profile. Now, you have to be emotionally patient to do that uh, but but it is but it's a model that then extends into the use of other drugs so if you then said what if we did the same thing with growth hormone and the igf one axis what if we did the same thing with insulin what if we did the same thing with you know various metabolic pathways you start to create what i call the supernatural man so an individual walking around with implausible hormonal levels. No no human being looks like that, but they're still not across the physiological barrier, really, on any one of these individual markers. And so they're kind of like walking around like the the Russian Superman, as it were, you know, that guy that was genetically engineered just to have the most fabulous endocrine endocrine profile of any human being in the face of the planet. But collectively, his risk profile is still comparative to outright abusive drugs, relatively small. Mm. Yeah, I suppose yeah you, could,
0: what risk? You, could, you could liken that similar to even like an odometer, right? On a, um, Or a speedometer, I should say, on a car. Like you're, you're taking somebody up into the higher revs so they get the benefits of speed, but you're not taking them into the red
2: line where they then start to potentially cause damage. Yes, so, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, there are, ma- there are many analogies and, and, and ways you could try to describe it, but mo- most people that I broach the subway, we don't have trouble getting their head around the, the fundamental premise of it. It's not, it's not terribly difficult to understand. It's the, the execution of it that, that becomes interesting, the details. Are so, okay, so I get the concept. So how do we do it becomes the, becomes the conversation.
1: Yeah, yeah. Ooh. So we've spoken about risk and reward. And for those uh, who are unfamiliar with what the particular risks are, let's stick to males for now because we know for females it's a little bit different. Um, what might that be? What might they be risking?
2: okay. So most people, when you again, you know, talk on forums and, and 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 Facebook groups and things like this, tend to be obsessed about what I call relatively benign events, like you know, in uh, acne or gynecomastia, yeah. things that are really very simple to address. I'm not I'm not saying we dismiss them. Ah, don't worry about it. But I'm saying, like you know, a hormonally induced acne, secondary to androgen uses. A very relatively simple thing to explain to someone why it happens and how we fix it, but people tend to be oh the side effects are acne, and the side effects are you know this and that and that. But I personally am more concerned about my brain, my heart, and my kidneys. These are the things that, that, that i 'm I'm interested in, so there are really like seven different androgen toxicities that we can speak to that range from you know, toxicity on the liver and toxicity on the on the renal system, toxicity on the cardiovascular system toxicity on the on the on the neural system so your, your your cognitive function toxicities and and so what i really consider risk to be about is saying it's not risk about gynecomastia gynecomastia is a very common experience amongst people that use this contents, but ultimately all it is is poor cycle the design that causes it it's an imbalance between the stimulatory inputs on male breast tissue and the inhibitory inputs and as soon as you address that imbalance between stimulation and inhibition, you effectively address it. It's not terribly difficult to do, provided you know what you're doing and you execute it well. But things like you know uh, impact on our on our cognitive function system, or cardio, you know uh, cardiac remodeling, you know structural changes to the morphology of the heart, these are very serious issues that you need to take very seriously because you know they can potentially be life threatening at the end mm-hmm. of the day. Do you mean? Uh, so, so the risks, I would basically say, the, the main ones that I tend to explain, talk to people about is the risk to your brain, the risk to your heart, the risk to your kidneys. Clearly, there is you know, this issue of liver you know, stress, hepatotoxicity as they refer to it. But honestly, that's more related to again, poor cycle design than anything else. You know, one of the things I'm not an advocate is, is the use of methylated orals on a daily basis, and almost all of the liver toxicity that's consequential to, to anabolic steroid use comes from methylated orals. And there's no, you know, real reason that you even need to use them. You know, I certainly do use methylated orals in the weeks prior to a competition, but it's a relatively acute, you know, amount of time, and I and I and I restrain my doses to quite small amounts of drugs. Things like Anadrol is probably a good example. Anadrol is a fabulous drug. I think anyone that's ever, you know, experienced anadrol can attest to the fact that it's a very powerful growth promoter. It can you know, have a significant impact on performance outcomes, but it is also the one anabolic steroid that we have that's a known carcinogen. So I'm not sure why people wouldn't treat that drug, you know, with some degree of caution and say, look, you know, we have evidence, you know, in, in, in toxicity testing, this drug has the potential to be carcinogen. How about at the, at the very best, we use it, quote-unquote, sparingly. Oh. So it, it is possible, in my opinion, with intelligent cycle design and, and, and good practices to mitigate the large majority of, of, of these concerns, the, the large majority of these effects. Oh.
1: Which is why I think it's so important that people listen to people like you instead of the dickhead at the gym walking around with the vials chattering in their bum bag. Oh, sounds like mm-hmm. sitting here. <laughs> you get to <laughs> for saying that?
0: I was going to say for a quick clarification there. So when we're talking about that safety use model, we're talking about both an escalation of dose consideration, but also a a compound specific consideration. Are there any other considerations within the safety use model
2: uh, that we've missed out on those? I, I would say for men, no, but for when we talk about women, it becomes very interesting, yes. Mm. Uh, may, maybe I'll just uh, address the many issues. So if you look at it and say, okay, so look, we have at least a half a dozen metabolic pathways that are relatively easy to identify that each one potentially can, can contribute to hypertrophic outcomes. I mean, most people associate the antigen receptor as the, as the principal one, and it's certainly a valid discussion, but the, the, the safer model says, well, rather than take out a 20-pound sledgehammer and smash away on the angiotic receptors, how about we modulate each one of these known six pathways you know, to, to some degree rather than hyper-focusing on any one of them? You know? So if we look at those pathways and say, so, so, so what are those pathways? Clearly, there is the classical you know, uh, genomic pathway of, a ligand binds when the androgen receptor and cause gene transcription. Every, everybody understands this, but you don't necessarily need to get into the you know, two milligrams or three milligrams per kilo. You don't need to be in the you know, two grams or three grams a week range right? to see effect. So I'll give you a classic example. Let's say we took our androgen levels up to five or 600 milligrams a week. I think that if you choose compounds carefully, the five or 600 milligrams a week, is, is I, I don't, again, like to say safe, but it's, it's not a tremendous amount of stress on, on, the human, on, on human physiology. But rather than keep going and keep going and keep going, what about we then turn our attention to one of the other pathways and say, okay, so how about a little bit of this, a little bit? So if someone was to say to me, so what, describe the safest possible performance enhancement model, what would it actually look like? I would argue, rather than someone, say, taking a 1,000 milligrams of steroids a week or 1,500 milligrams of steroids a week, I'd say, well, how about a little bit of testosterone and a little bit of recombinant human growth hormone and, say, an insulin sensitizer like metformin or berberine and a little bit of insulin itself and a little bit of this and a little bit of this and a little bit of this. So, in other words, you're not even potentially even far outside of clinical therapeutic range on each of these potential things But it's a very symbiotic relationship where one plus one plus one plus one equals three. Now, the traditional way of approaching this is you take as much steroids, you keep escalating the dose of steroids until you get to what would be seen as the maximum plausible threshold before you move to the second pathway. Does that that make sense? This is how traditionally, and even you'll hear guys saying like, you don't need growth hormone yet. You don't need insulin yet. You're, and you're, you're only taking a thousand milligrams of steroids. You know, you don't need it until you get to 3000 milligrams, three, sorry, 3000 milligrams a week. And I would argue, well, why why do we think that way? Why can't we use a little bit of steroids and then a little bit of growth hormone and a little bit of insulin and, and not place tremendous stress on any of these, these metabolic pathways Understanding, though, there is a symbiotic relationship, there is a synergistic relationship there, that we can potentially get similar or even better outcomes with lower total cumulative oxidative stress mm. uh, than, than simply taking one of those things and, 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 as I said, following the traditional model, which is you know the, the overconsumption of anabolic steroids to the you know, potential detriment of our health before we move on to a secondary pathway. Yeah,
0: I feel like this is almost like a misnomer that's come through bodybuilding community where the the term that i hear a lot that i fucking hate is you have to earn the right to use growth hormone (laughs) like what right do they need to earn you know like and and that Mm -hmm. is that they're like if you're not escalated above the maximum then why would you add an additional compound i think that kind of comes uh from the fear of this concept of that polypharmacy equals negative without Mm -hmm. the context of what the polypharmacy is you know Like like you're suggesting here is that a lot of uh, that sounds like bad language, but it, it makes sense. Multiple. A lo- multiple is a nicer word. Multiple different pathways being stimulated to the minimum effective dose without the risk of side effects. And then mm-hmm. there thereafter, you
1: know. Stir fry um. of drugs.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <A little bit laughs> well, I, I, would, I would go one step further and say, to me, the success comes when you say, look, I need to manage stress I need to manage sleep. I need to manage my nutrition. I need to manage my training. I need to manage, we were already living in that culture already. It's Ooh. not one thing that produced the, is the magic here. There's already a, a number of pathways that we need to invest our time on. And so it, if you think about it, it's really not counter to our culture to say, well, end receptors over there, during and we have, and, and yet we have estrogen receptors over here. And and the stimulation of the estrogen receptor is a hypertrophic pathway in its own right. During, right. So you know, why, why would we not consider estrogen as a potential performance enhancing tool you know, in, in its own right sort of thing? Instead, we have these people say, well, estrogen is bad. We need to cross estrogen and we need to force as many androgens in the system. We go, well, if you understand you know, these pathways, you understand there is, there is absolutely merit to having, you know, uh, gene transcription at the estrogen receptors, because that would directly contribute to hypertrophic outcome in, in its own right. Even if you don't, you know, stimulate the androgen receptor. So we look at the androgen receptor, we look at the estrogen receptor, we look at growth hormone, we look at insulin, we look at you know, insulin sensitivity, we look at this, we look at this. It's almost like the best analogy I think that, that resonates with people is we're building a race car. When you build a race car, you don't buy a $500 piece of shit and try and wedge the largest turbocharger you can under the bonnet. That's not a race car, that's a Hoonmobile. <laughs> a race car, you upgrade the brakes and the steering and the suspension, and you go through the thing and you, and you upgrade all of the different systems, right, that you can potentially upgrade even by a relatively small margin. And if you do it intelligently and, and, and in a well-constructed way, you'll end up with a machine that will outperform the Hoonmobile and last many times longer. Sure, the Hoonmobile might take off from the lights real fast, but it's going to grenade itself some way down the line. And that's really the approach of saying, you know, we're just, you know, we're just going to use, quote unquote, steroids. I go, no, I'm going to build a race car. I'm going to to put better suspension and better wheels and better tires and better brakes and better cooling system. and, 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 and by a relatively small amount, I'll upgrade these things. And you over there, you're going to buy a Toyota Corolla and you're going to get the biggest turbo charge you can and wedge it under the bonnet. That's not a race car. Ugh. So you're playing so,
1: the long game.
2: Yeah. Well, I think that's the only way you get to play the long game because people often ask me, you know, and I would say it's true, when you talk about longevity, it is implied you have to take your foot off. the you know, quote, unquote, you have to take your foot off the gas somehow. During, you, can, you, you know, you can't, you can't just punch it down and hold it down for 35 years. Yeah. So the most logical thing to do would be to say, okay, so let's, let's not overdrive any one of these pathways to our detriment. Let's modulate each of them in an incremental fashion so that we get a response with minimal stress incurred. Mm. With,
0: with that uh, comment in mind, Victor, would you then propose that it would likely be safer to do a longer and extended lower but well-controlled cycle repeatedly over time, as opposed to doing a shorter but extremely heavy cycle.
2: It requires a lot more breaking at the end. hundred percent. But with the caveat, we're talking about men. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah, times, for sure. So, so for men, I have guys, you know, so this is the, 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 what, I, what I call the supernatural model. Imagine if you said, right, so testosterone replacement therapy today is considered to be two milligrams per kilogram, but most guys are using 200 milligrams straight out the box. Right, so how about you take 250 you have to you have to just take a leap of faith to say that incremental 50 milligrams doesn't come with no risk right but the risk attached to another 50 milligrams is quite small but it places you would probably for most individuals now you're outside of physiological range okay all right so when you get to that point how about we just stop there and i give you two units of growth hormone right? And how about I give you, let's say, five units of Humalog insulin post-training? Why do you ever have to stop? Why do you Why do you ever have to stop?
0: Well, that's a very good question that you ask. You
2: know, right. a lot of people no. stop because it's been sixteen weeks, Victor. Well, they stop for two reasons: either the the amount of drugs they cause they use is causing a degree mm. of toxicity that needs to be washed off, right? It's, it's evident that they're creating a toxicity and that that can manifest itself in ways that you can see visually or, or you can read through through biomarkers through blood work okay or alternatively it's just cultural that's what we do isn't it we do it for 20 weeks right and then we right. and then we take a certain amount of time off. my argument would be is i certainly agree if you're going to take 2000 milligrams of testosterone you cannot take that forever oh. that's just naive the extreme But you have to give me the argument why you can't take 250. Let me give you an example. Back in the 90s, there was a tremendous amount of work done on androgens as male contraceptives. Okay. It really never took took root as a therapeutic practice and principally because its success rate wasn't simply high enough. Mm. Okay. That degree of, uh, sorry, the, the application of antigen certainly causes infertility in a, a, a certain number of men, but for it to be a contraceptive practice, we need it to be like 99.99% of men, right? And it simply wasn't that many men. Like it was a large number of men experienced basically FSH shutdown, and consequently to that, they stopped producing viable sperm and effectively became infertile while they're exposed to this compound. There were guys using 300 milligrams of testosterone. 400 milligrams of testosterone for years, right, under medical supervision. It's very different than looking at 2,000 milligrams of drugs a week and say 250. So I go back to my original point. If you said, all right, so 250 test, two units of growth hormone, you know, a little bit of insulin, like five units of Humalog insulin. Now, I'm not going to lie and piss in anyone's pocket. Say so that's never going to get you to the Olympus stage. Let's not fool ourselves. But you know, we're talking about most recreational users want more than natural. Okay. okay. Just those three things are going to improve your recovery, improve your performance, improve your body composition, and allow you, coupled with a good nutritional program, a training program, to at least make progress from, from, from the natural store. There's no rational reason, provided you have biomarkers and health screening to support that. My blood pressure is great, my blood glucose is great, my echocardiogram supports this, my blood work supports this. There's no real reason why you ever have to come off at that, at that level. Now, obviously, you don't need to stop at that level either. You can keep going, well, what about 300? What if I put another 100 milligrams of master on the table? And What if I did this and what if I did that? So I guess the, the whole discussion becomes it's not a digital switch we turn on and off. It's, a, it's a, a, a sliding scale that it is quite plausible that smaller amounts of a greater number of drives applied very effectively mean that you create a situation where you're walking around as a supernatural man and you don't have these periods of very high elevations of exposure of risk and then you know interceded by you know the need to take breaks as it were and the truth is if you think about it also through practice most of the guys that blast and cruise when you actually look at their cruise they're cruising on that anyway yeah They, they, don't, they don't come down to physiological levels. They're, they're, they're taking, I mean, you know, I'm sure you know who Jordan Peters is. He's a very high profile. He's very transparent. I appreciate his honesty. His his cruising dose is kind of what, you know, more than what we're talking about. So even when he, quote, com, comes off, he's using more than that. You it's know?
1: So funny. Dean and I joke about off or off-off.
2: Yeah. Because guys, yeah.
1: you were like, yeah, I'm off. And then when you're asking them, like, about their off, they're like, no, 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 I'm not off, off. I'm yeah.
0: just... I'm just pop <laughs> the other ones. Yeah, right. Just right. yeah so, I mean, this, this kind of earmarks the concept, of again, that Brods has put forward, is this longer, lo- longer lower, and slower. Uh, sure, and, absolutely. Yeah, and the thing that I love with what you're talking about here is that you're looking at actual biofeedback and biomarkers to determine the impact of the drugs that you're utilizing, and that there may be the opportunity for an extended time of use if the, the situation allows for it because you're appropriately choosing the appropriate compounds.
2: Correct. So, obviously, you require there's some framework that needs to be behind this. One of the frameworks I would say is I tell people, look, you know, we have so many drugs available. Say, you should be using approved for human use drugs. Why are you fucking around with veterinary drugs in 2020? Yes, I'm empathetic. In the 1970s, you probably needed to use them because that's maybe all you could get your hands on. But today, we have so many drugs available. I don't like methylated orals not because they don't work because they cause unnecessary stress for really very small return i i do want to put one caveat on that thing because it, it does come up a lot and i completely agree so when people say well h- how much the answer is really simple and the answer is enough in other words right even when it comes to tr- like training volume i'm coming off the the, the thread but you you hopefully you'll appreciate it and go People talk about how much training volume, at 53 years old, I do enough training volume to realize my goals and no more, why? Because every single, even if you exhibit perfect form, every single rep you do, when you're talking about 30, 40, 50, 60 years of training, it's like mileage on a car, it adds up, okay? So in other words, I do enough volume to, to realize my goals that I set for me, okay? No more, no less. If I did less, I wouldn't be seeing my goals. And what's the point of doing more than I need? Mm -hmm. I'm not a professional athlete. I don't get paid to do this. It's a hobby and I want to be doing it 20 years from now. Why do unnecessary volume? Why do unnecessary anything? Why, Why would I spend 80 hours working a week, if I can realize an income and everything I want for 40 hours a week and spend the other 40 with my family doing things I like to, why, why do more than you need to do is the, is the point I'm making, right? So whether you're talking about training volume or whether you're talking about drugs, the answer is how much do you need to do? Well, you have to do enough. So in other words, for that guy over there, who's just starting out on his journey, who has a very good genetic response to these compounds, okay, it's that much. And for that guy over there, it's this much. But the point is, is that we start off a relatively small amount, what I would call clinical dose, right? And gradually and slowly titrate up on a needs basis. As we need to titrate, we titrate so that we are constantly and relentlessly moving towards our goals, whatever they happen to be. This is not the way people plan drug cycles. They arbitrarily lay down a dosage based on some recommendation from a guy down the gym. That's what he used, rather than this is what I need to fulfill my goals. Now, if I find an individual who has good sleep hygiene, who has good stress management, who, who trains hard, and I watch him, and that guy says, look, I need... Like I said with Jordan Peters, he's a very large man, right? If, if he says, look, I need... 400 milligrams a week of androgens to maintain my current tissue mass. So I have tried to lower it down and, and and I cannot hold my size at that point. Great, doing. But what I would argue is that that dosage is different for almost every individual on the face of the planet. And you should figure out what that need is for you and then use that amount. And by all means, I'm the first person to say is, why would you spend the time and the money on that we do in this community and, and, and everything we invest in it to be held back from your goals for the want of another 100 milligrams of drugs, put them in, put them in by all means, but don't put them in unnecessarily. Don't put them in when they're not needed because all they will do is you're spending money and you're creating stress unnecessarily, mm. okay? And, 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 and I'll be close, close that statement off with one last thing. What it takes to maintain tissue once you have acquired it is vastly different to what it takes to create it, okay? So at 53 years old, I walk around about 260 pounds off season, right? We all just kind of went through the difficulties of COVID period. I think it was a very enlightening experience for a lot of people. The amount of training volume that you need to do to maintain existing levels of tissue. I mean, let you think about just food. From a food point of view, literally that means maintenance calories, Mm -hmm. right? So I need maintenance calories, I need maintenance volumes of training, and the amount of drugs that I need to maintain tissue mass is much, much less than I need to grow, right? So the whole premise here is by following this thing saying, I don't know necessarily that I need to get much bigger, but if I wanted to add five pounds of tissue, I can because I don't walk around in a state of perpetual stress on my body, unnecessarily taking drugs, If I wanted to add five pounds of tissue with my training age, everything, the stars would need to be perfectly aligned, okay? Mm. My sleep, my stress, my food, my training, my drugs, everything would need to be perfectly aligned. It's not that it's not possible to do it, and I'm all for that. And if someone said to me, look, I need to raise my risk profile to realize that, go, I would go, great. My whole premise, though, is most guys that are using strategies do not think in these frameworks. They're given cycle plans by some guy down the gym based on, well, that's what I think the pros use or that's what I think you need, as opposed to look, I've sat down and I've worked out a a way of, you know, slowly titrating my dose over time, finding out what stimulus I need for me as a genetically unique individual and adding dose on a a, as required basis to realize my goals.
1: That takes a bit of work though and people would rather be on Tinder. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs>
2: it's funny you said it because I, I had a consult with a guy like
0: three months ago and he told me he was he's like 24 and 750 meg's of test i was like why 750 and he goes oh the guy who uh, i used to get my help from said that's what the big guys use
1: okay
2: i was like cool but, but um, this 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 is the mindset this is the common yeah. mindset correct yeah
1: but you, you're you, not playing with barbie dolls here we're playing with our own bodies it's like if it's not worth putting your energy into your own longevity what are you going to put your energy into?
0: Well, I guess, well, and this is a good little segue into the topic that we really want to discuss, which is, you know, pharmacology and women, because there's a far bigger risk profile, obviously for women. And one of the things that I mentioned before being time, you said that you wouldn't, uh, attribute the same rules and time to, a, to a woman. So
2: what are some of the, the things that I think you think are worth talking about when it comes to women? And pharmacology? Well, let's, let's start with a far bigger risk profile because some of the things I'm going to say, I do understand they are extremely controversial, right? So I expect people to hear what I have to say and go like, I don't agree with that. But at least if it puts the flag in the sand for them to think about later on, they can come back and think about when you want to have a intelligent, logical, rational conversation about performance enhancing drug use in men. There's a couple of areas that you can delve into to learn. Uh, One is the, the, the medical application of these compounds in you know basically the, the the therapeutic application of these drugs you know there's a lot of clinical evidence to look at you know in in that regard there's also a a a lot of information with regards to the, you know what we call age-related hormonal declines in other words testosterone replacement therapies and the such like you know the, for treatment of you know hypogonadism and you know, even sarcopenia. and there's also there's all sorts of information but the fascinating thing is A lot of people say, well, there's almost no information for women. And I completely disagree. In fact, the opposite is true. Most of the information that we have on what we would call steroidal SARM, so, you know, Anavar, you know, Primabolin, Masteron, Nandroline, you have to remember these drugs ultimately, derivatives of testosterone were developed for the application to the androgen sensitive, okay? So a great many of the studies that have been done on these drugs are actually done on women. They're not done on men. Right? So there's probably more clinical literature to consider for women than there is for men. Okay? Then what we can basically do is we can say, okay, so there's a similar you know, body of information relate to age-related hormone decline, what we call you know, post-menopausal women and the application of HRT practice. It's kind of similar to men in that regard. But there's two other areas that are absolutely fascinating. The first is the transgender community. Okay, so it's very controversial and people don't like to talk about it because people don't, don't like to be, I'm not transgender, fair enough. You have to understand that these are women who are deliberately intentionally setting out to induce those side effects that we wish to basically avoid. What better cohort could there possibly be to study than transgender women? This does this, right? So there's, there's tremendous amount of information about what does what to transgender women. Okay. Now the challenge of course is you have to be open minded enough to be willing to read it and understand it. But then when you talk about risk, yes, yeah, sorry, go.
1: Uh, put my hand up like I'm in class. We're talking about women are transitioning to a man, right? We're not talking
2: yeah, about so, so women who were born women who, who who were born as a female, let's call it the wish to be identified as as the male sex. Yeah. right? So they're deliberately trying to create male secondary sexual characteristics like facial hair and changes of body composition, these sorts of things, right? And the drugs they use are the drugs we're talking about. That's how they do it, right? So we have these bodies of information that we can look to and say, well, that's not what we want, right? So we better have a look at that. We better pay close attention to what those guys are doing and whatever the fuck they're doing, we're not going to do that. Ooh, does that make sense? Right. for sure. Now the, now, the great thing is we don't have that in men. There is no group of men out there fucking themselves up so we can look at it and go, we won't do that. Do mm. you
1: know
2: what I mean? Yeah. So, so what a fabulous body of information. But again, will you ever hear this, nobody talks about this body of information. Now, what does that body of information tell you? Apart from those cosmetic appearances, right, which may be deemed to be undesirable, understood, right, it's not worth it's not less safe for women. You could give these women these doses of drugs and when you look at them and you go, what well, we're talking about, now we're talking about things like lipid profiles and cardiovascular health profiles and cognitive function profiles. You're talking about, if you mean it's, it's, it's not as safe for women from a she's gonna grow hair and she's gonna look like a man. perspective, I understand. The risk men have is you could fucking die. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? So when you say it's less safe for women, you mean superficially, really, in the, in the grand scheme of things. It's a superficial discussion. Those women want to look that way. And so the medical community, the doctors are, are willing to raise their androgen levels to help them look that way. It's not affecting their health. Mm. It's not giving them renal disease. It's not giving them heart disease. It's not giving them cognitive function. They're growing hair and they look like men. Mm-hmm. All right? So when people say safe, to clarify what you mean by safe, do you mean cosmetic, because men that fuck it up can die, right? Women that fuck it up will have a beard. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I I know that's not good, but there's a difference between death and I have a beard. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right, okay. So just to be clear, we have fabulous data on what happens to a woman when you raise her androgens levels to that of a man through the application of testosterone. So in other words, women naturally produce testosterone to this level, we're going to artificially raise her androgen to that of a natural man, and we can watch the process, and we can see what happens. This changes to a voice. This changes to a skin. This changes to a body composition. This changes to a, you know, facial hair, etc., etc., etc. But those are relatively superficial things, if you understand what I mean. Things we want to avoid at all costs, by all means, but not really dangerous. Do you know? And so then there's a fourth body of information you need to consider. And that is, again, this is extremely controversial, but I find it fascinating. You have to understand that most elite female athletes, right, suffer some type of uh, medical condition that means they produce more androgens than normal women do, okay? Very often that is associated with a condition like PCOS, Okay. But there is an interesting discussion that says, well, it's not PCOS, it's something else. And so we can talk about what that is at the moment. So in other words, if you look at elite female athletes, they, they are individuals with that, that cohort that are not using steroids at all, but their bodies produce androgen levels far in excess of what is considered normal for a woman. And that is why they're elite female athletes uh, at the end of the day. now conditions like PCOS are not fun there's all sorts of you know bad shit that comes with that like insulin sensitivity and all, all sorts of problems but it is fair to say that they do have you know hyper levels of androgens and the hyper level of androgens is consequential to their performance enhancement okay so let's say you had two clients that came to you one woman that came to you that said look I'm natural, I don't take anything, but I have PCOS and look at my testosterone levels. You go, holy crap, you've got the testosterone levels of a of a natural man, right? Are you going to basically, you know, do everything in your power to suppress that? Or are you going to leverage that to your advantage, you know, in, in, in a performance setting? And then you have another woman that comes along that says, you know, I, I, I want to duplicate that artificially because I want to compete with her during it becomes this very complicated ethical dilemma. You have to understand the reason they're elite female athletes is they produce androgens far in excess of of normal people, Mm. okay? To the point whereby, you mean, there are studies, again, fabulous information on this, where they're looking at, you know, there, there are lots and lots of elite female athletes that have testosterone levels in the 150 to 200 nanograms per deciliter range so you're going, holy crap, how could she possibly have that because she has an underlying medical condition that produces that outcome, mm. right? uh, You know, we, we spoke earlier about a young lady that you have some experience, you know, with t- you know uh, let, let, let's not name names, that's her condition. Yeah. I, 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 you know, so that's what underlies that outcome that we were talking about. It's like, wow, <laughs> that's impressive, right? Not a tremendous amount of steroids play here, but uh, heightened levels of androgens available, to a underlying medical condition that has a flip side that means, but she also suffers from insulin sensitivity, so oh. there becomes some problems with fat. Resist- just yeah. a quick yeah. clarification: insulin resistance. Yes, correct. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. most 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 women that have PCOS have in, have heavy levels of insulin resistance. Ooh. It's something we, we need to address. Yeah? yeah. So the point I'm making by that is simply saying this: it becomes this interesting moral dilemma. You're saying, well, hang on a sec. All these elite female athletes are walking around with androgen levels that we would deem to be unacceptable if we were artificially creating them, but they are actually natural. So how do we view that? Mm-hmm. It's an interesting discussion. As long as it's not creating problems for them, do you have to suppress it? Do you, what 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 do you do? And I'm not I'm not here to say you do this or you do that, but I'm just saying it's an interesting discussion. Mm-hmm. And the thing that makes it most interesting in this, there is an argument that says. It's not PCOS at all. Actually, that high level of androgen outcome is consequential to their training in a prepubescent state. In other words, the things they did when they were young caused them to produce those levels of androgens today. So they created it artificially. Right. Okay? The so, chicken situation. Yeah. Yeah. So it's this interesting thing they've you know done levels of. Androgens on, on, on ballerinas, ballerinas are famous for, you know, working very, very hard when they're very, very young, right? Mm-hmm. And, and later in life, they have a lot of, you know, you know, heightened androgen issues, which start to cause feminization problems, which you can imagine is this, this great paradox because she's a beautiful ballerina, mm-hmm. right? But her activities as a, as a young athlete, as a prepubescent athlete have caused her to have you know, outcomes of heightened androgenism later in life, right? And now she's starting to lose that feminine outcome, but we actually created that with no drugs.
1: Yeah.
2: Right. So it's this fascinating conversation. I guess the point I'm making though is you mean, you know, just because, you know, someone says, okay, you know, women should have this level of of testosterone level, is there a difference if they produce that naturally versus whether they create it, you know, artificially? And who determines? What's acceptable for them or not? Because a lot of female athletes that I know, they see themselves through different filters. you know? They're not they, they they're not Barbie dolls. They see themselves as empowered, powerful women. So, who sets the benchmark for what is and isn't acceptable? you mm-hmm. know? And I, I find the whole conversation absolutely fascinating. But the, the but the but the big blanket that lays on top of all this, women are exquisitely sensitive to androgens. You only need very small levels of androgenic increase to see very significant changes in physiology outcome, okay? Mm-hmm. And so therefore, it's a very you know, interesting and complicated thread, and there's a thread you can pull on that talks about the supernatural woman as we were talking about the supernatural man. The challenge is, in my opinion, in this community, recommendations for performance outcomes are so agricultural that people are still living in the world where well, all I do is take Anavar. Right? And, and, and it's so far off the full conversation, I find it interesting. My personal approach to women and PDs is this, and that is there are a significant number of hypertrophic enhancement tools that we have that do not cause male secondary sexual characteristics. Okay, so we begin with those, right, and we leave androgens to the last cab off the rank. Okay, when we've been through all the other things, then we might talk about androgens, but the thing you have to remember about androgens is it's not the peak concentration of exposure that causes the greatest damage, it's the duration of exposure, mm-hmm. okay? So to give you a classic example, from the transgender studies, about 30% of the women that expose themselves to 50 milligrams of testosterone a week were able to realize androgen levels, testosterone levels in the normal male range, Okay, that's not a lot when you hear about women that are taking 25 milligrams, 30 milligrams a week, saying, okay, so double gives you transgender outcome, Ugh, if that right. makes sense. Yeah. But, the, but it's, not, it's not the dose, it's the fact that, okay, yeah, but you just have to be patient and wait because it takes a couple of years. In other words, it's not the peak value of androgens that uh, uh, underlie the problem, it's the duration of exposure. So if there was a takeaway from this, I would say two things. If you're a woman, you need to first start with consideration, at least, of the drugs that do not cause second, sex, male secondary sexual characteristics. Mm-hmm. Okay, a simple example: insulin doesn't do that.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know? Oh my God, why would you use insulin? You're a woman. Well, that's not going to turn me into a man. That's a, how about that for a good start? You know? <laughs> so, that is a good so, start. Yeah, so it's a good correct so 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 and and you the final drug you would put on the table would be anything that fell into that box. Mm -hmm. Right? And then there's comes the discussion about the emerging class of non-steroidal psalms. People need to understand that the whole point of development of these psalms is fundamentally for the androgen sensitive. These drugs have no place in the application in men. They're not, they're not being developed for men. If you even look at the clinical trials, they're applying it to breast cancer treatment and, and, and circumstances like that. You know, in, you know, in, uh, the, I, I just shake my head when I see guys' interested in Psalms. I go, you don't understand. These drugs are basically being developed because we know that all of the efforts we put into the development of steroidal Psalms, Anavar, Primobolan, Mastron, Nanjolin, there are still remnants of androgenic impact attached to those drugs regardless of the dose okay so the the intent of non-steroidal SARMs is to see whether we can remove those last small androgenic vestiges that are behind okay so if you're a woman obviously you would be very interested in that because you're exquisitely sensitive to the impact of androgens but men have nothing to fear from prima right and men have nothing to fear from anabar but women do. Mm-hmm. So it's a completely different mindset. The last thing I would I would like to say, and then maybe I can just see if you guys have got any, any, any threads you want to pull on here is if you go through the clinical literature and look at the historical application of these drugs to women, most people are shocked by the doses that have been given to women. So a few a few quick examples. Before Mastron became the therapy of choice for the treatment of breast cancer. They used to give women 300 milligrams of testosterone a week for breast cancer treatment. That was the gold standard. Could you imagine giving 300 milligrams a week to a woman of testosterone? It's like it, the mind boggles, right? Compared to 50% Yeah. Correct. And so then that became mastron. How much mastron do they give women? 300 milligrams. Prima has been given to women at 400 milligrams uh, you know, Anavar is given to women at five milligrams per kilogram. There are trials on Anadrol at a hundred milligrams a day in women. Okay, mm. So the, the irony here is there's all these disconnects between what does what and what outcome gets what. I think the biggest problem is if you look back at the nineties and even before that, the, the 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 golden days of the Soviet female athlete using steroids, you know, that, that, that picture you have. You have to understand the amount of drugs they gave women back then was absolutely fucking mind-boggling. They sometimes gave women more drugs than they gave men, okay? The greatest human, the, the, the largest dose of an anabolic steroid in human population is 1,200 milligrams of in a week to women, Ooh. right? So again, if you, if, you, if you put it to context, so in other words, the medical community were prepared to give 1,200 milligrams a week of prim, primabol to women, Right, And when they gave it in clinical application, they wound that back to 400 milligrams a week. Right, So what does 30 milligrams a, do, a week do? Not very much until you expose it for a long period of time. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you can give women androgens like this at small doses, because we have evidence of what 300, 400, 1200 milligrams a week does, but you cannot give them to it for extended periods of time. And that's the greatest risk to women because they get into this sport and they start using these drugs. And for the first year, everything's great. And the second year is everything great. Slowly, 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 you start to see change. Mm. Okay. But the reason underlying the change is, is it's a small but important, but people think it's the amount of drugs they're using. And it's not, it's the duration of exposure that's the problem. Mm. And okay? you're not talking <laughs> just necessarily cycle specific duration, but rather total exposure over time. Total cumulative dose over a lifetime is probably a fair way to put it, right? So it's we don't think in our tribe in those terms, not for men and not for women, right? But the best way I can, the best analogy I could use, if you think about a young man going through puberty, right, the profound changes that he goes through, but he goes through that over a two, three, four-year period. He doesn't wake up one morning and he's a man because his androgen levels went up it's very slow, but relentless changes to relatively small levels of androgen increases. And so in my opinion, very few women and very few coaches understand this. It's not the peak values of androgens that cause the problem because we have clinical literature of giving women 300 milligrams a week of testosterone. And you know, and 300 milligrams a week of, of Mastron and 400 milligrams a week of Prima Bolan and 100 milligrams a day of Anabar, but relatively short treatment cycles. And when they're done, they're done. Do you know I mean? Our tribe is, we use a little bit, we keep, you know, keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. And you get years down the track and suddenly you find these problems that you're in like have snuck up on you and kind of caught you unawares as it were. So if there's one overriding message to women, it would be this. If you look at a career of use, you have to do everything in your power to limit your total duration of exposure to these drugs. Okay, You have to plan your career and say, look, here's a 10 year block of time that I'm gonna expose myself to these compounds. What is my strategy going to be that says, I'm gonna use the least total dosage, least total cumulative dosage possible over that time block. Okay, And that strategy begins with saying, well, I'm gonna use preferentially First cab off the rank, second cab off the rank, third cab off the drugs that do not cause these problems. And I will only use those drugs as a last resort. The final thing that goes on the table is a drug that falls into that category. Okay, So things like insulin, as I said, really don't, it's, it's, it's very difficult to say. Like I, and I mean small doses. When I talked about men, I talked about like five international units of Humalog a day. That does not cause male secondary sexual characteristic changes doing. so is insulin a drug that we can at least discuss yes what about this what about this what about this and you go through the drugs and you find that there's literally two piles of drugs the pile of drugs that we can at least consider right and a pile of drugs that we need to be extremely respectful and mindful and say we really want to have minimal exposure total duration exposure to those drugs okay and that's not how people approach these drugs today they're worried about the dose Oh, she's taking 20 milligrams a day of anivir. And I said, well, if she, honestly, if she took it for a month and never touched it again, it's probably not a big deal. Mm. But that's not how people do it. During, they use it again and again and again and again and again, over and over and over. And I'm, I'm being very honest when I say these drugs can be very addictive because you get a look about them... And I've met a lot of women that say, I only do this, but the truth is you get to know them when they open up and they're very honest. But they're like guys, they, they have trouble getting off of them because they like the way they look, you know? Yeah, sure. So there's all, these, there's all these threads that you start pulling on and you realize that the entire conversation is fascinating, but also potentially problematic because it's not a simple case of saying, don't use that drug, use that drug. It, it becomes a, a, a discussion that needs to be had. Mm. Yeah.
1: That's a really interesting point you bring up about people feeling like, I'm not going to say addicted, like people get addicted to heroin, but addicted Mm. to the way that they feel and they can get men and women wrapped up in the identity of looking like a physique athlete. And if you let yourself go, it's almost embarrassing or shameful or you feel like a fraud because you now, uh, you know, attach your identity to being this stage lean jacked person all the time.
2: Which is only achievable in the presence of said pharmacology, which is the problem. Yeah. Right. And and that's particularly problematic if there's an income attached. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. It's like very hard to, you know, like if, if not only you have an identity, but you have an income attached to that, that can, that can be, that can be tough doing you know? yeah. that can be tough. I know a lot of more men than women, guys who've had health problems, kidney problems, things like that, that have, you know, you know, really needed to walk away from this lifestyle doing, you know? and they struggled. They kept coming back and coming back and their problems just got worse and worse and worse. And, you know, they, they, they ended up in a far worse position than they started at because they simply didn't have the self-esteem and, 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 and the, the right mindset to be able to walk away. So, yes, it's absolutely a problem for both sexes.
0: Hmm. For, a, uh, for the purpose of enlightenment, because uh, you are sort of uh, casually just talking over the fact that there are quite a few opportunities of different or varying drugs that women could use that are non-androgen, uh, non impactful to the androgen status of them as an individual. Mm-hmm. Would you be willing to rattle off some of the considerations for those compounds? Because I think like a lot of the people I talk to, they do generally just believe that there is enovar, you know, and that's it. That's okay. your option. Um, and I okay. think a lot of people miss out on the opportunity, at least to know that there are available compounds. They don't necessarily need to know how they work. That's a conversation to basically have a consultation
2: with someone like yourself, yep. uh, but rather just that the opportunity is available. Do you, do you mean under the banner of anabolic steroids or do you mean in totality? I mean compounds that are non that are non androgens. Okay, you, you so mean, let me let me, let me just make a statement about anabolic steroids first, if I can, and then I'll then I'll then I'll j- jump onto that list. Okay, it's kind of important that people understand that really from when testosterone was first synthesized back in the 30s, that you know, the, the researchers realized that if they were going to apply these drugs for therapeutic benefit to androgen sensitive individuals, they needed to try and you know, bias the anabolic androgenic ratio, right? So all of the drugs that we, you know, we know of, nandrolone, masteron, primavol, anavar, anadrol, winstrol, all of these drugs came out of that pursuit. It was about trying to, you know, either increase or at least hang on to the anabolic component, right, and then play down, diminish, whatever, whatever adjective you wanted to describe the, the androgenic nature so all of these drugs, you would basically say, have the therapeutic index of less than one, which basically means they are classified as steroidal SARS. Mm-hmm. They are effectively tissue selective to a greater or lesser degree, right? So in my opinion, Anavar and Prima Bolan are probably the, the, the least androgenic of these compounds to women. But again, this is dose dependent. You take enough of these compounds, you will see an androgenic impact. There is still a vestige left there, right? So the current generation of Psalms, as I said to you before, trying to pick up that thread and pull on it. So that would include drugs like osterine and, 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 the, and, and the other LGD433 and, and drugs like that. So if I was a woman, you would really begin your conversation with saying, okay, so I, I should put the, the steroidal Psalms on a piece of paper because they, they, they certainly have a place. Uh-huh. I should put the current generation of non-steroidal Psalms on a piece of paper they certainly d- deserve a discussion. There are absolutely issues around, you know, do we have evidence that they are clinically safe and effective over long term? And that's a discussion. But they be- they belong in that discussion because, uh, you know, drugs like osterine like are in phase three clinical trials. In my opinion, that's that's close enough for us to at least be talking about them. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's fair to say, look, we have the same degree of you know, safety and efficacy data we have as something like Anavir or Bolan, but you know we, we have enough to have a conversation about osterin today. Okay, and then what you would move to is the, the typical drugs like you know growth hormone is growth hormone. Does that induce male secondary sexual characteristics? No, it doesn't. Growth hormone is used in male and female growth hormone deficient patients and it is fundamentally given in similar doses without concern to these effects, Uh okay? Is it possible that there's adverse events associated with growth? hormone? Absolutely, but they're effectively the same for men and for women, you mean? You can increase your insulin resistance and, 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 but you, you don't create male secondary sexual characteristics at moderate doses of that drug, okay? Provided it's that drug, I, I should point out that it's important to understand that there is a there is a, a question when you, whenever you buy something from the underground lab, did you ever, did you actually get what you paid for? You okay. And that and that needs to apply to across the board. How do you know it is what, you, what it says it is, right? So, growth hormone would be the first. Se- second, you would put insulin on the on the table. That drugs like metformin and berberine, in terms of insulin sensitivity, again, these are drugs that I'm I'm, I'm quite bullish about. Something like a PPAR agonist, I don't know whether you're familiar with drugs like GW1516 and SR9 and, and telemissart and things like that. These drugs, again, there's a, there's a discussion to be had about the good, the bad, the ugly, but the point being is they, are, they do not induce male secondary sexual characteristics. So for someone that says, look, I've made a decision to use GW1516, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, that, that, that's a, a somewhat mute point. sort of. Mm. And then we have really all of what we would call the the, the androgenic you know agonists like the uh, clenbuterol and terbuterol and albuterol and all these sorts of things again banned substance in the performance you know in the in the water community because of the potential performance enhancing effects and you could have a valid discussion about good, bad, ugly, otherwise, but they don't induce male secondary sexual characteristics. Interestingly, clenbuterol is a drug that, you know, in is misunderstood by men because women are so exquisitely sensitive to growth promoters that you can give a woman clambuterol and see a hypertrophic response you would never see in a man. It oh. would just go unnoticed. And so it's a fair thing to say look, if you gave a woman who's training her ass off as completely natural, if you gave her as little as 40 micrograms a day, would she have a competitive advantage in a natural bodybuilding show over other legitimate naturals? Yeah. And if she got caught, she should be banned. Cause that's an advantage, right? I know natural women. And if she was competing against someone, I said, ah, it's just 40. You know, don't worry about it. It's only 40, but no, 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 It works, mm. right? So again, those types of terbuterol, glenbuterol, you know, uh, you know the, the albuterol, that class of family are things. The PPAR agonists. Then you get into things like injectable or carnitine. I'm a huge fan of injectable or carnitine. I think it's a massively underrated drug clearly it needs to be injected because of the bioavailability issues and things like that. But again, this, this, this is a amino acid. This has no impact on male secondary sexual characteristics. So you could very easily end up with a list that says something like insulin. Yes. Growth hormone. Yes. clenbuterol, Yes. PPR agonist. Yes. You know, potentially even five milligrams of wasterine a day you that the degree of male secondary sexual characteristics is very, very, very small by comparison yeah. to something like an anabolic steroid. So I mean, hopefully that's enough, but there, there, there is a list of these compounds that need to be put on the table for consideration, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's exactly what I was looking for, because I think, like I said, I think there's a lot of naivety around the potential for non-anabolics to drive hypertrophy in women, and you know, they don't come at the cost of that superficial femininity that a lot of them have a problem with.
1: Can I put another one down on the table? Sure. Don't train like a little bitch. Would Ooh. be the one I'm putting down on the table because I hate it when I see women put the freaking things around their ankles, connect it to the cables, and just like do kickbacks and like the stairmaster lift like a fucking lifter. To, to,
2: to be to be fair, I think we could say that about men too.
1: <laughs> I don't see as many men doing booty do kickbacks. I, um, but yeah, sure.
0: <laughs> I used to call Liz the man eater when I first met her, mate, because um <laughs> <laughs> in the gym that we trained at we hadn't met. I used to watch her go up to – there's one piece of equipment that she used to always do this to, and it's the unilateral hammer strength uh, plate-loaded row. and you can get, like, you know, really good rhythm pull on it. But she would go up and she'd be like, oh, are you using that, mate? They'd be like, yep. Be like, do you mind if I work in? And they'd be like, yeah, if you want. Like you know.
1: Then i have to take all the oh, plates right. off. Yeah. And they'd have
0: two plates on there. And she'd be like, no, that, that's mm. cool. And they'd be like, oh, okay. Mm. And then she'd always say, another plate or 10? And they'd be like, oh, 10. And then next one, another plate or 10. Ah, <laughs> uh, fuck. I'm done now. 10. And then like, uh, I'm done. And then she'd rock three and a half plates or whatever. And they just walk away with their tail between their legs. Like, that wasn't a fun experience.
1: Honestly, like, that's a funny story, but it actually happens to me quite uh, often if I'm to match a guy on whatever he's doing. They're like, all of a sudden, they're cutting their set short. And it mm-hmm. annoys me because I'm like, look, Maybe I've just been training for longer. Maybe I train harder. Maybe I'm at the end of a training block and you're deloading. Oh. And like, it is funny and haha, man-eater. But just, we need to stop comparing ourselves because we're not powerlifters. We're bodybuilders. Maybe mm-hmm. your rep mm-hmm. ranges are higher. Maybe I'm mm-hmm. going for fives. You're going for fifteens. Mm-hmm.
0: But,
2: um, exactly. can, I, can I just, uh, I, I just want to go back and make, make a, a statement about those drugs that I said. Mm-hmm. I just want to be super clear so no one gets confused. Please, for anyone listening to this, do not, misunderstand what I'm saying that those drugs are quote-unquote safe (laughs) yes right every single drug that I listed has a good the great the good the bad the ugly right and if you can't sit down with someone and they can explain to you literally the great the good the bad the ugly of a drug be very careful who you're talking to because they probably have a degree of bias that is problematic right there are people out there that that will tell you about such and such a drug. And if you ask them, well, what's the ugly? There must be an ugly, like, oh, there is no ugly. Like be, be careful of that guy. Every single drug has the ugly attached to it. The point I'm making though is none of those drugs relate to that specific issue with women, okay? And with women, because women are so exquisitely sensitive to growth promoters, it's actually plausibly possible to say it's safer for women than it is for men. Because if you said to me, okay, so what's the minimum effective dose for clambuterol for a woman? I would say, let's say 40 micrograms a day. I would not accept that a natural woman should be able to get away with taking 40 micrograms a day and competing against other natural women. That's unfair advantage to me, okay? So would men see a significant hypertrophic benefit from that? No, okay? But women will. And the caveat to that then is, so what's the consequence to a health of that dose. I don't think clembudol is a, a, a safe drug, but it is a dose dependent problem, right? In other words, 200 micrograms a day, you're gonna have some, some issues to deal with. But you have to understand the therapeutic dose for clembudol is basically 80 micrograms a day. Right? So if they're prepared to give you know, 80 mi- milligrams of, sorry, eighty micrograms of clembudol to a day to someone to treat asthma, right? And we can see a performance benefit from women for half of that dose, right? are they going to end up potentially with, you know, you know, cardio cardiac remodeling problems? No, because we know Clembuterol has that potential to do that, but a dose is far in excess of that range. Okay. So they use clenbutyrol deliberately to induce cardiovascular, so cardiac remodeling at 2100 micrograms a day. Mm. 2100 micrograms a day and 40 micrograms a day are two different propositions. You know, they're, they're two completely different discussions. As we'll say, the dose is the poison, as they say. So I apologise. I just want to make sure that people people don't think I'm saying, oh, these are all safe, you know, steroids are bad, these are safe. I'm saying all of these problems have the good, the bad, the ugly attached to them. The thing is they don't have is that particular issue, which is what we need to be concerned with with women. So we start our discussion, right, at that point, and we leave androgens until the very end of the discussion because that's that's what androgens bring to the table, the escalation of of those issues. So...
1: You know what I love about getting advice about gear from guys like you, Victor? It's, is
2: that-
1: <laughs> you're, not, you're not selling them to people directly, so you don't have... It's like getting uh, advice from a car salesman on which car to buy. The answer is the most expensive one, darling. A lot of people are getting their uh, gear advice from the people who are selling it to them. who have a vested mm. interest in selling them mm-hmm. lots of drugs, mm-hmm. the most expensive drugs. But this is independent advice.
2: This is the great problem with the Psalms debate. You know, if you think about it, like I would say the overwhelming majority of people have gotten their information about Psalms from people who sell Psalms. Do you know They They haven't gotten that information from credible third-party sources that, that get paid either way, buy it, sell it, don't, whatever. You're literally going to, you know... I, I, I use car dealership asking if it's a good car. <laughs> of course it's a good car. <laughs> it's the worst possible. Yeah, of course, the deals go around. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I, I not only agree with you. It's my pet peeve. People talk about Psalms, and they, and they, and I've had people send me references to Psalms. You know, I've said something, and someone has tried to refute what I've said with a reference to website I go dude this is a web this is a website selling subs like this isn't a credible you know this isn't a credible source of information it's a it's a marketing piece yeah You're it's right? like
1: listening to the ATP podcast and getting gut right
2: <laughs> <laughs> hey, <laughs> <laughs> you, you get in trouble. All
1: right, <laughs> so, they've,
0: they've already got in trouble to
1: bite me to the effect <laughs> of millions of
0: dollars. Yeah
1: um, now I feel like we could talk all day on this topic, mm. but just to make this uh, a palatable sized mm-hmm. podcast, I think we might, might wrap it up and end with some funnies. Is that all right with you, Victor? <laughs>
0: <Sure>. <laughs> we always have fun at the end, but first of all, we always ask our guests if they have, they, if they have something where it could be either a, a resource,
1: something share, a
0: website, a book, that's something worth sharing and value to, to the
2: listeners. So is there anything that you can think of? That's it could be unrelated
1: to. or related
2: yeah that's a good question yeah there, there actually is there's a there's, there's a there's a guy that i would like to to promote if i can his name is dr scott um dr scott howe dr scott howe yeah sorry yeah. so uh, scott has been the most tremendous uh asset to me over the last couple of years you know I, i've asked him questions uh, scott basically did his phd in androgen toxicity right in my opinion one of the you know uh, leading uh, educators in terms of you know the safer use of these compounds. Okay, so anybody that doesn't know Scott, he doesn't have a very high profile in that community. It's it's, it's fair to say that it's growing every day. If you don't follow him, please follow him. He he's a very busy man. Uh, he's really not a a coach as such, and so you know, like he he puts out some information. It's not as God I wish it was every day. I I would just listen to everything he has to say. Fascinating guy, fabulous insight to the to, to the community. Um, has some personal experience with it, with androgen use. you mean, know, so he's not just a pure researcher and someone that I would say, look, if you if you don't know who this guy is and you don't follow this guy, you you should follow this guy because he's one of the world's leading researchers on on harm reduction PED use. And you know, but, but follow him by all means. I apologise for, for for messing up his name, It just kind of sprang out of my head at the moment. But yeah, a- absolutely. That, that that's one guy that, if I could get his name out into the community for someone that you should you know take a listen to. There's obviously other people like Scott Stevenson, Doctor Scott Stevenson, like uh, D- Dean Saint Mart. I think he produces you know really interesting information as well. You I mean, but you know, and I, I think those two guys have probably got you know the traction that most people listening to this have probably heard of the him, whereas Scott. Uh, you know, he he's, he's, he 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 kind of deserves a a much higher profile in our community than he has today.
1: I'm trying to get up his Instagram handle.
2: It is yeah, because tier one. Okay. But his Instagram yeah, tier t- 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 one, t- one, correct? Yeah.
1: Okay. His Instagram handle for anyone listening is p o o h i r o n. If you would it like, to like, it pronounces
0: as poo-iron.
1: poo iron. Poo poo I know. I didn't want to read it out. I was like, <laughs> you know, it is tier
0: one, so and it is <laughs> Okay. Oh, what? <laughs> he doesn't do a lot of instagram content he's got a few mm-hmm. uh, cracking podcasts out he's got one also on your uh youtube podcast victor so um yeah he's
2: been he's been on my podcast and i'm i'm, I'm hopeful to get him back a couple of times he is he's, he's one of these guys that uh if I, if i don't have the answer to the question he's, he's one of my go-to guys like you know, can, can you help me out with something so absolutely and he provides uh harm reduction consultations and services to the community. I, I think he's just a, a tremendously undervalued asset in that community. So whatever support people can offer him, please, please do that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Do, you, do you have the
1: something? The, um, no. The others? All right.
2: So we've got, no, what do you oh, have you? I've got, it. I've got yep. two questions
0: to ask you, mate. Mm-hmm. So um, what's something you've changed your mind on recently? <laughs> uh,
2: I, I That's interesting. I, I'll make it about business because I actually thought that by providing a membership site that was very low cost and had high quality content that it would be, you know, embraced by our community, like, like, like passionately. I thought it'd be, you know, just an overwhelming success. I'll be very honest with you. I I have had to change my business direction of my business because I don't think that we're at the point yet that people are interested in paying for educational information on this subject, you know, so uh, I thought we were ready. But I still think we're not, know? So I have a very small number of people that have supported the membership site and they're passionate and they you know, drive me to create content and they keep me motivated. But Joanne, I, 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 th- I thought the community was a little further along than it is. It's a little bit frustrating, a little bit disappointing. And I've changed my opinion of like, just who's out there and who's listening and who wants to be educated. And as I said, things like... Uh, I mentioned before about Broderick, you know, Broderick runs this website, it's $11 a month. Why, why the fuck wouldn't you join that? Like, mm-hmm. any, anyone that's interested in using PDs, why would you not give the man your $11? I, I set the price of my membership at, point, at, at, at the same price point at once. Mm-hmm. You would think that people just saw that and signed up. You know, there's, a, there's a certain amount of free content that you have to put out to the marketplace so people can, you know, see what you have to say. And then you have a back end for say you would think it would be a no brainer, but whether it's myself or Broderick or a number of other people in the community, they're always undersubscribed. And my my thing that I've changed my opinion is I, I thought our tribe was a little bit more enlightened and a little bit more further along the path of wanting educational content than they are. I oh.
1: think we're getting there.
2: Yeah. There's an interesting- Slowly, one one at a time, yeah. <laughs> one mind at a time, as I say.
0: Sam Harris. Um, What's he, what's Wait, his, waking up? Wake, yeah. No, waking up is his app, but he has a, um, a cool. podcast where you can go in there and if you want to do the long form podcast, if you, mm. it'll, it'll cost you a certain amount of money. Mm. Right. But if you go to the like website, Patreon. Yeah, no, no, it's not Patreon because Patreon takes a certain amount of money. And he doesn't like that. No, do so it? what he's mm. done is he's basically said, Hey, the, if you want to get all of my content, I'm just going to make a number up. It's $9 a month. But if you mm. genuinely cannot afford it, email me and ask it for free and I'll give it to you for free. Sure. So he's basically saying like, here's an honesty policy. I'll take you all on, but if you can afford to give me $10, I'd appreciate the support. It's mm-hmm. a really interesting because he's in neuroscience. So he's, you know, he's playing games with people too. Oh,
1: there'd be a <laughs> lot of assholes out there that can afford it and say they can't. For
0: sure they would. Yeah. But I suppose then mm-hmm. it still gets you more shares, maybe more, maybe more content.
1: Yeah.
0: That's a good one. All right. Uh, if you could manipulate one human gene to your advantage, what would it be and why? Mm,
2: that's interesting. I, I think uh, the aging gene is, is, is something that I, as I get older, I'm more and more interested in anti aging practice. June, you know? honestly, I, I look in the mirror sometimes and I just think, oh, yeah, I, I still feel like I'm 25 years old. Do you know? <laughs> you
1: and I you look a- young, you've got great skin. I <laughs> feel <got> that Botox.
2: <laughs> now i i i i have this tremendous amount of empathy for older individuals you see people in the 80s and things like that and i just think I, can, I i'm starting to project what it must be like to get to that point and you still feel so young and enthusiastic for life and you're in it's 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 really challenging i i am slowly transitioning my own education because I, I i'm always learning myself i'm slowly moving in that direction myself so so how do I keep this going for the next you know, 30, 40 years myself? Some of the practice I participate in, I understand I'm you know pushing back against just the sheer volume of food that we consume in our tribe. And some of the practices aren't really conducive to those types of outcomes. Most people would be familiar with that. But yeah, very very, very slowly, very gradually I'm I'm moving towards, you know cognitive function decline and, and anti-aging practices in general. And, and I'm, I think eventually we will get to the point where we can actually manipulate those genes, Joanne. Well, Hopefully it will be within my lifetime. I, <laughs> I watched a Netflix doc once
0: to tried to tell me that Metformin was going to make me live longer and better. Oh, yeah? <laughs> but it was, it, yeah. Was, it was a parallel <laughs> that was drawing that was quite nice. But yeah.
1: Big fan of Metformin. Um, yeah. I recently finished a book called Homo Deus, which mm. is the sequel to Sapiens, I believe. I don't know if you've read either of those books.
2: I, I, don't, I don't know either of those books, no.
1: Oh, they're incredible. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to link them to you on Instagram. That'd be good. But, um, Homo Deus is, so uh, Homo Sapiens is a brief history of humankind. So how did we evolve to be where we are? And Homo mm. Deus is a brief history of tomorrow. And it's basically saying that inevitably we're Homo Sapiens now. We're going to merge with artificial intelligence and mm. be immortal. Um, mm-hmm. And we will be so different then mm-hmm. uh, to what we are now to you know oh. what we were millions of years ago. Mm-hmm. We will be unrecognizable. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just hope that the computers will be nice to to us. To us. <laughs> yeah, but um, <laughs> we treat animals like non-human animals a particular way. Um, and the concern in the book is that Homo Deus will treat Homo sapiens in the same way that we treat animals. In the same way. Yeah. Cause we look at animals as being like inferior and less intelligent and mm. whatever. And we will be inferior and less intelligent and they will be immortal. Mm. And that is the ultimate anti-aging.
2: Mm. <laughs> a, a, a very interesting subject. And, and I honestly think it's, it, it's in the next couple of generations. This is coming in. I'm, I'm old enough to remember like television with three channels and no, mm. no mobile phones and dial up internet connections, all that stuff. It's just, we live in a different world in one generation. It's an extraordinary, yeah. it's what it's an extraordinary world we live in. I think it's fabulous.
1: Yeah. Mm. I remember growing up thinking, oh, I really wish I grew up in the seventies and like, you know, a feminist revolution or some revolution, but actually we've lived through the technological revolution.
0: And, I know. and now also a uh, pandemic, which isn't something that everyone will do in a lifetime.
2: know.
1: But yeah, Mm -hmm. I think um, if you're interested in anti-aging, I think you'd really like
0: this.
2: I I would would check out both those. Thank you for the recommendation. My pleasure. Uh, Would you rather? Would
1: you rather? rather? Normally we have a card game and we've worn out of (laughs) the hat. But I'll think of one on my (laughs) toes. Would you rather never be able to use performance enhancing drugs again, like as of tomorrow, cold turkey, Mm -hmm. or have to keep your beard and your uh, hair on your eyebrows but dye them bright purple?
2: I def- I'm definitely dying my beard eyebrows purple. Absolutely. I think that would be a good look. No? <laughs> you won't be the silver fox anymore. You'll be the purple no. fox. Yeah, but that would be. That'd be I, think, I think I might try that just to shock you. <laughs> I reckon you could get away with it over there in Thailand too. There's a, yeah, there's an there's a open tolerance to these things where I live, so that's all right.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, otherwise you're just the normal guy with a grey beard. Now you're yeah. the huge jacked guy.
2: Uh, I'll, I'll have the to think purple. of
0: that. Purple, purple bearded eyebrows, <laughs> yeah. get a pinstripe down the centre.
1: Oh, yeah. my God. Far <laughs> <All> out. <right. laughs> now, if people wanted to uh, get in contact with you, maybe to talk about gear protocols or do a consultation, something like that, how mm-hmm. would they reach out?
2: Okay, so I uh, I run a website called Victor Black Masterclass, which is that membership site that I talked about. But I think probably the easiest way is if you uh, hook up on the Instagram profile again, same same username Victor Black Masterclass uh, as an Instagram profile. If they uh, you know click on follow, I, I regularly post like uh, updates and information and, and things I find insightful about the the enhancement, the training, the nutrition aspects of what we do. So I I appreciate anyone's interested in what i have to say thank you yeah easy to find and the content is awesome mm-hmm. cool
1: thanks for coming on and thanks for your time and sharing a bit of your brain with us
2: <laughs> great it's been That's a pleasure fair. guys i hope i hope i uh I, I i i know i speak very quickly i apologize if uh, for any of the listeners if i spoke too quickly but uh, uh hopefully there's some at least some interesting flags in the sand, things you can go back and think about and, 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 and reflect on and, and, and see whether that challenges your existing ideas or not. And at any time you've got any, any, any questions, you're interested in this space and you would like to you know, talk to someone and, and get an opinion, I'm, I'm more than happy to come on the show if I can be of value. Awesome. sounds great, mate. I'm sure uh, I've already got more questions, so there'll be another time. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. the
2: Silver right. Fox 2.0 episode. <laughs> <laughs> be
1: the Purple Fox.
2: The Purple Fox 2.0. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try doing that. All right, thank you very much, guys. So to cup Thanks very much, mate.